Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Well, hey, it's good to have you all here. It's good to, to be with you today. Uh, my name is Austin. I'm one of the pastors here at Rosewood. And uh, we are, if you're just joining us, we're in our series uh, dedicated to First Peter. We're in the fifth week of First Peter. And... Um, we're going to be going into uh, we're going to be going into the beginning of chapter three of First Peter. And after last week, we talked about politics and political engagement, all that kind of stuff. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to a Sunday where it's not going to hit on any sort of hot topic issues, nothing that's going to possibly be divisive or be uh, uh, something that tears people apart and they're highly opinionated about. So I'm looking forward to a Sunday without any of that. So here's First Peter three, wives. In the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of their lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So while I was getting ready for this message and trying to find a starting point, um, I, I, real, prob- I realized what really the starting point was, at least for me, and it's going to be for this message, is, is why is this even here? Not that this is the only time that an author in scripture talks about wives and husbands, but honestly, like everything that we've talked about with First with Peter, his theme of, of persecution and, and doing, being eager to do good in the face of, of trials and people not liking you and having an issue with what you believe, and in the case of the people that he's writing to, dealing with social marginalization and eventually criminalization and, and even execution as, as time goes on. And then he gets into this. It just feels like this riff where it like where is this coming from and why is it why is it here seems like a bit of a deviation well um if you happen to think the same thing and maybe you you're on it and you've had it all figured out better than i have but but if you're kind of coming to it as the same place as me uh, there's a reason why all of this feels out of place um because we're not in his place we're not in Peter's place. We're not in, in the audience's place. The social norms of the first century, of first century Roman marriage, men and women, 
are not the same norms as we experience today in 21st century America. And this is one of those cases where we're studying the culture and, and understanding not just the words on the page in your Bible, but the culture in which those words were written and the intentions that, uh, the, the, the way that the culture affects the atten- intentions of, of what they're trying to say. It's really important and it can help us to um, not fall into this trap of, of applying, you know, bad theology uh, to our present day in ways that can cause and have caused a great deal of pain and abuse in churches and homes. So let's take a trip back in time. Let's go back to the Roman Empire, uh, back first century Roman Empire. The first thing that's worth noticing about what Peter is saying here um, is, is when you look at what he's saying, he is not speaking to men and women generally, okay? So he's not speaking to all men and all women. He's got two more specific kind of groups of, of men and women that he's talking to. First off, he's writing to Christian women who are married to pagan or, or non-believing men. And then also he's writing to Christian married men. Now, here's why that's important, because um, if, if uh, back in that time, um, it was expected that everyone in the household was to follow the the patriarch's God, okay? So if, if dad or the husband uh, comes home and says, you know, I, uh, I love God X, or, or, or we believe in God X, we, we ascribe to God X, we worship God X, we, you know, this, this God, this is, this is who we're about. And the whole family goes, absolutely, God X, he's our man, or God, or whatever, you know? And, and, and it doesn't mean, now just, like, in our minds, we hear that, we're like, oh, does any, like, how can you authentically believe in something if you just have to go along with what someone else believed? Well, uh, you could, you could. This was just the norm. They didn't know the kind of freedom that we have to, to believe in, in what you want to believe. In that time, whatever the patriarch said, it went. So if patriarch said, God X is our man, or God, then that God X is, is what it is. And then if he comes home from work the next day and he's like, God Y is who we worship, everyone's like, yeah. Totally. God X, old news. God Y, yeah, we're all, we're all for him. So you kind of, you get in line behind what the patriarch says they believe. This is why if you go through Acts, there's a couple cases, including times after Peter, the author of all this, uh, uh, times where, where Peter would preach and, and, and the, the numbers of people who came to believe or were baptized or made a faith commitment to follow Jesus um, was counted as like hus- or, or men and their families, that the men would be baptized and, and believe and then their whole families would come along with it. That's kind of this nod to a social norm that we don't, that we don't really believe in or pe- I've never met anyone who operates in this way. So Peter then is aware when he's writing, he's aware that there are women in these cities who believe, who follow Jesus, who have made faith commitments to Jesus as their savior, but their their husbands haven't. And their allegiance to Jesus, which is different from the allegiance of their husband, is going to generate suspicion for them, and it's going to threaten the peace in the home and the community. So Peter, Peter assures women in, in this situation, he assures these women that, that all Christians, including them, all Christians, uh, even those who are, who are subjected to, to Roman, uh, uh, Roman authority of their non-believing husbands, they have been fully liberated in Christ. But 
he encourages them not to use this freedom and this liberation uh, in, a, in a way that creates unrest and it says, instead kind of models or, or provides the model of Jesus as a way of resisting what, when people don't like you and resisting those things by being eager to do good uh, and, and resisting by living with love and generosity and kindness to those who wish to persecute them, not to stir up rebellion within their homes. So that's women. Then he turns to to men, men who have made faith commitments. Now, um, Christian men were to treat their wives uh, in ways that were totally different from their Roman neighbors. Christian men were to treat their wives in ways that that ran counter to Roman norms. Um, they were to treat them as equals before God, as Peter said. Be equal, they, they are equals before God, and you should treat them with respect and honor. Which, you hear that now, and it's like a teaching that, like, we have to be told that we're supposed to teach, like, treat women. Us men, you treat your wife or treat other women with respect. What a daring passage. But like, again, that's 21st century kind of American mind looking at this. At this time, the Christian men may not have because pagan men were not expected to. And this is something that's true. I mean, this touches on something that's true for every single one of us. If you've made a faith commitment or you grew up in the church and you got to a point where you took your faith seriously and kind of took ownership of it, uh, uh, you went through this as well, which is that when you make a faith commitment and follow Jesus, you bring a bunch of the baggage from the past along with you. So if you were a, um, if you you were a a greedy non-believer and then you become a Christian, You become a greedy Christian, right? Because you bring that baggage in from the onset. If you were a lying non-believer, you become a a lying Christian. That's why discipleship is so important because Jesus, you don't just, there it is. It's not really there. You don't snap your finger. That's better. Snap your fingers and suddenly you become a, 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 you know, a perfect Christian. This is why discipleship is so important. Like having someone like Peter in your life to be able to, to teach you and correct you and challenge you and encourage you as you grow more and more into the likeness of Christ. So, so these pagan or these believing men who used to be pagans, they are b- bringing this baggage in, this baggage where you could, uh, uh, where you could uh, 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 overpower your wife and, and might made right, and that's how you operated as a husband. So yeah, Peter does need to make this point, uh, and the reasons are still relevant today. The men needed to be reminded, as we all have to be reminded, that the values of the kingdom are not always the same as the, va- as the values of the earth. So, follow the values of the kingdom, some of which uh, may be counter to what was accepted in your old life. So with all of that in mind now, looking at, looking at what's going on in that Roman time, it, it's really not as hard now to see how this is consistent with the teachings that Paul has come from already. In fact, Paul is just making the same point, but he's using a few different arenas to make that point, which is be eager to do good around people who, who don't like you. Be eager to do good. Do good in the face of criticism. They may hate what you believe. We've been talking about this the whole time. They may hate what you believe, but they will love what you do. And perhaps through their love of what you do, they will come to love the one that you love. 
And because this is Peter's theme, all through the book, he's writing to husbands and wives in specific culturally embedded positions. Um, and, and so for that reason, we just have to exercise some caution around trying to apply Peter's advice uh, to modern families in every way. Not that there's not things we can learn, because that's where we're going to go next. Uh, but just to exercise good biblical, kind of critical wisdom uh, when drawing from, from these commands. So I know that this can be a, a bit of a sensitive uh, conversation point. I was actually more nervous for this message <laughs> than, ne- than last week's message. Um, so I know it can be a little sensitive. So let me, let me start with this, okay? Um, by a show of hands, please raise your hand if you're sitting in about the same spot you sat in the last time you were here to worship. Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, so like most of you. And there's a couple of you, you're lying, because I see you every time, and I know where you sit. But right, like, isn't that funny, though? Like, we, you can sit anywhere you want. That's not news. You can sit wherever you want, but we tend to just sit right in the first place that we sat. Um, Same goes for, like, college, right? Like, for me, like, when I went to college, it was the first time, I I don't know, my high school, we we are always assigned seats. I go to college, and I can sit wherever I want. And so I sat wherever I wanted. And for the rest of the time, I sat there. And that's the interesting thing about us as, as people, which is that you have enormous freedom in your life to do basically whatever you want. I mean, yeah, there are consequences and and benefits and all of that that you have to take into account, but really you can do anything you want. And even with that freedom, most of us fall into very predictable norms and patterns. We basically sit in the same seat, but on a larger level of our lives. We fall into predictable patterns and frameworks, even when we have the freedom to do whatever we want. And Peter, is, is, when he speaks here, he's kind of slicing through these generally accepted masculine and feminine stereotypes that apply then and in a lot of ways still apply today. Now, not that Peter nor I can draw a box that fits every woman and every man is out and then draw another box where every man fits into it. And, and not that he or I can, can possibly do that. But there is, there are, there's no doubt that there are certain generalities. Generalities about uh, men and about women and the ways that they're different and the way that the, those generalities kind of make them, make them the same. I mean, think about it. Do you take a mental imagery? Like, we could, we could, come to a consensus about like what men are like ought to look like okay not that we can and not that we should try but we could we could formulate these generalities what men should look like what men should be into what men's hobbies are right the way way men should interact with men all, all of that and we could do the same for women there's certain brands and certain ways of dressing and certain ways of doing your hair and all of this kind of like, like hobbies interests all these things that are generally accepted to be to be more more feminine So even though we have absolute freedom about these decisions, most of us still fall into uh, a lot of 
generalities in the ways that we choose to be. And, and sometimes what's interesting is sometimes even when someone deviates from those generalities or stereotypes, those who have ascribed to the stereotypes might try to kind of get them back in. So, so the generalities, we affirm the generalities in how we live, and, and sometimes we even affirm the generalities in how we, we want other people to live and, and to conform back to the generalities that, that we've accepted. So when Peter says to women with unbelieving husbands, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes, rather it should be that of your inner self. He's naming feminine stereotypes that can or could in some women be used to compensate for what they believe are shortcomings even though God made them beautifully and wonderfully, he made them with dignity and honor, but sometimes we feel, or women can feel, that they don't have that. And so we have to see, so then women will at times, again, we're speaking generalities here, might seek that approval through what they can put on, on themselves or, or change about themselves. Uh, for instance, okay, so for instance, my, my daughter, Helen, she's only two. She's not making a whole lot of decisions about how she dresses yet, but someday she will. Someday she'll decide what she wears, what piercings she gets or doesn't get, tattoos she wants to get, hairstyles, all that kind of stuff. And, and for a while, while she's under my roof, we're going to have some boundaries, okay? But once she's out, I mean, I don't get to say. And in a lot of ways, I don't care in that what I hope and I pray for her is that the pressures of the world don't make her feel like she's deserving of dignity and honor intrinsically, that she has to change herself to be given that which God has already given her. And I hope and I pray that she, she meets a man and gets married someday if that's her choice, where she is honored by him in a way that, that, again, makes her feel that dignity is something that she has because God made her, not because of how she had to change in order to earn that love from someone else. So then when, when Peter says to men now, into the, into the second part of it, men who are in the position of, of this spiritual leadership in their homes, when he says to them in the same ways, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partners and as heirs with you of the gracious li- gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. He's commanding um, a, a culturally radical treatment that still isn't necessarily present in, in every home or, or church today. I mean, he's telling men that, that they should, um, that even though they may be larger and, and capable of getting what they want through bullying and intimidation, which would have been fine in that time. That wasn't against the law. That wasn't against social norms. That would have just been accepted. That's how a man would have, have ruled his house. But instead he says, no, I don't want you to lead with your, with your strength, with your physical strength. I, w- I want you to lead your home with integrity and peace by honoring and respecting your wife as equal. Now, again, like, this is su- like here at Rosewood, there's a whole diversity of, of beliefs and opinions on, on 
everything, okay? And welcome to life, that's how it is. We all have different, different views of things. But for the most part, right, like, like we don't have, like Rosewood does not operate like there's a, a glass ceiling for half of the population that God created, right? We have, we have women in, in leadership at the highest levels, higher than me, half of the, the consistory above me are, are, are women. We've got a woman going through the ordination process. We have women in every stage of, of leadership here at Rosewood. It's just, it's not a, a it's not a thing. We don't talk about it that often. And not that people who disagree with that are hateful towards women, but absolutely this still needs to be spoken because those beliefs are still in existence uh, in churches and in homes. We have not like moved past this. Uh, this is still relevant. Even if it's not something that's as relevant at Rosewood, it certainly is relevant in other places. And what's so interesting then, the very last line is the, the, the amazing implications of it. The, the last line says, you know, for husbands, do all of this, but if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. Which is so interesting because a lot of times when we think about Christianity, we talk, think about what being a believer means, we think about it in strictly vertical terms, that what matters is how I treat God, how I worship God, the, how I, you know, do all, we think about it vertically. But Peter's saying, if you're not good horizontally with people, like with your wives, you're also not good vertically. There are vertical consequences for horizontal actions. That God's literally not going to hear you if you as husbands do not do these things for your wife. If you don't honor and respect her. That God's not even going to hear you. What, what, an, what a f- fascinating kind of little finishing remark there for men. So when it comes to all of this together, you know, stereotypes, they're always going to be they're always going to be around. Generalities will always be around. They may change, but generalities will always exist. Um, clearly, in, in 2,000 years, some of those generalities are still in existence in, in their original form, while others have changed. But as I hear, as I hear Peter, and as I read Peter and try to make sense of all of this, um, I don't think he's saying that, hey, you know, you can't fall into to feminine or masculine stereotypes, that there's, you know, no difference in anyone. That it, it, I, don't, I don't hear him saying that. Rather, what I hear him saying is, be aware of some of these. Are you falling into them because there's actually an identity problem in you? Where, where, where you're, um, uh, you are trying to compensate for a struggling Christian identity um, because God made you. And when he, he made you and, and when you became a Christian, you were a child of God. That's the most true identity marker about you. Nothing can change that. God gave it to you and no one can take it from you. That's, so, that's why that identity is so firm. And when we build our lives on things that aren't rooted in our identity as Christians, that's when Jesus talks about building your life on shifting sand, that's it. Because the, the, the ways that people look at you and the ways that people treat you change all the time. One day you're the, you're the, you know, the best thing on earth, you love yourself, and the next day you, you hate yourself. And that's what happens when our identities aren't rooted in, in, in Christ, this, this aren't rooted on, on the rock, built upon the rock, they're built on shifting sand. And, and so I don't hear him saying, look, there's not to be any stereotypes, we can't talk about them. No, but he's saying, look, men and women, you're in different situations, but you have the same goal. That in these, these times where especially during times of suffering and persecution, your proclamation of the gospel 
is still possible and is still important, uh, even though all of these things happen to you. You know, we looked at men and women today. Um, if you backtrack a bit, you, you'll see that, you know, again, he talks about politics. He talks about social hierarchy uh, as well. But his point is that we shouldn't give up the, the marks of our Christian faith and resort to the same actions that are applied against us, husbands and wives both. It doesn't matter how you're treated or expected to be treated. Continue to treat people in the best that you know how as Christ taught, as, as Christ treated other people. That our, resist, that our resilience in love will be our way of preaching the gospel of light into a dark world that surrounds us. So, let's pray. God, thank you that Thank you for the ways that you have created each of us. Jesus, we are beautifully and wonderfully made. Though there are so many voices and messages that try to teach us otherwise, that try to convince us that that's secondary, that's what, what, what's more important is, God, you know, what we drive, what we wear, what we look like what our interests are. But God, you have made us and you have called us to yourself. And Jesus, even as we each have our own uniquenesses, we all have things that are in common. And one of the things we have in common, God, is our mission to make you known, to glorify you in our private and our public lives. And God, for, for each of us, as we have been empowered to do so publicly in the ways that are unique to each of us, Jesus, I pray that your spirit would guide us, would teach us. And when we are faced with challenging times, when our ability to forgive and act with kindness, it's just about the last thing we want to do. God, give us your spirit to do the hard thing of loving others as you loved even those who put you to death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.